0: When you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit angie.com that's a n g i . c o
1: m. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls and those who don't identify as either. You are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. I'm sorry to report I've done next to nothing since the last time we spoke. No, that's not true. I went to dinner with a friend. I think I told you I was going to do that. And then it was freezing, so I didn't go out all weekend. I mean, my version of freezing. Anything below 50 is freezing to me. But yesterday, it went up to the high 50s in D.C., and I could run around without a coat on even. I just had on one of my Ratchet and Respectable hoodies. And I was fine. I have this whole long, exhaustive list of things to do or things to get, really, that I made while I was living in Ghana. Like just small, small things like chives, for instance. I went to the grocery store. Chives, for whatever reason, are $8.50 a bottle. I don't understand why I bought four nonetheless because I couldn't find them when I was in Ghana. And they may or may not have them in South Africa, but I'm not willing to go months without chives. But chives, uh, medium-sized safety pens, with the peppermint soap the tingles. Not Burt's Bees, the other one. It's in the blue and white bottle, and you could, like, wash yourself and your hair and your dishes with it, but you're supposed to dilute it, but no one ever does because everyone likes, like, the little buzzy, tingly feeling. That's so. Carol's Daughter Shampoo. I have conditioner. I'm out of shampoo. Wife Beaters. White Converse, which I haven't checked off this list. I didn't get them yesterday. Lufas. I could not find a loofah to save my life when I was in Ghana. They have a net that yens typically wash with. It's essentially... A better version of a loofah, but like a loose loofah. Because, you know, loofahs are essentially just the net, like, all bundled together in a ball. But if you let it out, it looks very similar to the net that Ganyans use as their washing cloth. But there is a firmer. Like, it'll take the top layer off. Like, you feel real, real clean. And I was like, I don't know if I need to feel, like, scrubbed, scrubbed every day. Just, like, scrubbed is good enough. But I couldn't find a loofah to save my life. And then the one that I had, I lost But I went out yesterday and ran my errands. I still have more to run today. I'm up at 8.52 a.m., which you know is early for me to be taping the podcast because I've got to get it done so I can do another day of errands, even though it's nasty outside. I don't know if it's rain. It's like harder than rain. So kind of like hail-ish sleep. Is that what they call it? I don't know. But I don't really want to go out in it. But I have things to do, so I may have to. All I've done is watch really good TV. We'll talk about it a little later, though, because I have other excellent Excellent black news this week. Michael Ely is returning to our screens. He's going to join the cast for Power Book Two. Now, you know, I don't watch Power. I've been protesting 50 Cent, but kind of like half hearted protesting because I watch BMF. I just don't talk about it very often, but I watch BMF like faithfully. My mom was like, Can you take my braids out from Ghana? The first night I was back. And I was like, Sure, but we're going to have to watch BMF. And did. Very interesting commentary. My mom's from Detroit. And the show is about, you know, drug dealers in Detroit. So she didn't know drug dealers. She had a lot of conversation about people who did drugs. And I was like, who are you? But Michael Ealy is joining Power Book 2. Season 3 comes out March 17th. But season 4 is in production. And that's what MF Michael Ealy is joining. People were like, so are you going to lift your ban on your boycott from 50 for, for, for Mr. Ealy? Will you do that? Mm? Hmm? Hmm? Y'all know I'm going to. It's not even a question. Michael Ealy and Method Man in one show? Yes. For Michael Ealy, the answer is always yes. I was reading on Deadline about Michael Ealy's new role. Never call him Michael or Ealy. He's always like Michael Ealy. But his new role will portray Detective Don Carter. He's a rising NYPD officer who is on track to become commissioner until his wife was killed in a crossfire between rival gangs. Vowing to make the streets safer, Carter traded in his tie for a Kevlar vest and now leads an elite NYPD drug task force that elicits concrete results against drug-related violence. While his achievements are noteworthy public recognition, nothing can bring back his lost love. I mean, thank you for telling me all about, you know, his background and, and what and what his job is on the show. Which woman's life is he going to ruin? I don't watch the show, so I don't know the characters. I know Mary J. Blige is on there, but I don't know anybody else. Does she have a man on the show? Is she into men on the show? I'm going to actually watch the show. I will binge it before season four comes out to catch up so I can be ready for Michael Ealy. And then also to, to try to guess whose life he's about to ruin. Because he's going to ruin someone's life. That's why you bring Michael Ely on to a show. You bring Michael Ely on to ruin a woman's life and you bring Giancarlo Esposito on to ruin a person's business. This is how it goes. They know their roles. They know what they're there to do. And Michael Ealy going to do some batshit crazy stuff. He's running an elite NYPD drug task force. He's going to do crazy shit in a deeply bassy monotone voice. And he's going to act like the crazy shit he's doing is completely fucking normal. This is why you bring Michael Ely on a show. Speaking of Michael on the show, he's on, what's my show? Bel Air is exactly the same role. He's going to ruin Aunt Viv's life. But Bel Air comes back in February. We're January 31st. So technically, I can still say next month. But he's going to ruin or at least do his damnedest because that's what he does. And in a crazy way to ruin Aunt Viv's life over on Bel Air. I can't wait for that show to come back. I love me some Bel Air. Courtney and 50 ain't cute. They ain't cute. They know what they're doing with this Michael Ealy thing. For all the people who resisted Power Book 2, it's like, we gave you meth and you still held out? We'll give you Michael Ealy. Try. Try not to watch. Try. I know what y'all did. It's smart. It's smart. I'm not mad. Speaking of good castings, remember on a previous episode, we talked about Antoine Fuqua is directing a biopic about Michael Jackson. And I was like, I'm I'm willing to hear it out. I want to see who they cast for Michael Jackson. They have selected an actor. It's his nephew, one of Jermaine's kids. He is a singer. He is a dancer. I saw a video for one of his songs on YouTube. He has a good voice. He has good dance moves. I don't know if they're his uncle's dance moves, per se, or his uncle's voice. But the look is right. He doesn't look exactly like a young Michael, but he's he's in the ballpark. I'm feeling warm. I'm feeling warm. I also read that the producer for this film... Is Graham King, and he's the same guy that did Bohemian Rhapsody, the biopic of Freddie Mercury, which was outstanding. I fell in love with that film literally from the opening scene where they followed him backstage. I wanna say, was it Global Citizen? No, no. I just looked it up. Live Aid, 1985. But they followed him from backstage onto stage. And he just does this amazing performance. And I was like, oh, I'm sold. I'm all in for this film. That's another one. Like the Elvis film that I'll watch like over and over and over. I really, really enjoyed that. So this is looking promising so far. I'm actually, I won't say excited. I'm not quite excited. But I am anticipating this film. It's going to take another two years before it sees the light of day, though. (sighs) Hollywood. I guess we're going to talk about films first, because I've been watching a lot of TV. I mean, like a lot. One thing I won't be watching again, Kindred on FX. I don't know if we talked about it on here. I really enjoyed it. It was a TV series based on Octavia Butler's book from, to 1979. You know, they updated it. They gave it some, some new oomph, which some people appreciated, some people didn't. I judged the series on the series. I actually thought it was really good. Like, I enjoyed it. It was riveting. It was horrifying. It was um, horror, but without being horror porn. I binged it straight through because I couldn't stop watching. Really, really enjoyed it. FX apparently did not. I don't know what the ratings were or what the budget was, but FX has chopped it. There will be no season two. Which kills me because it ended with a cliffhanger. And I was like, wait, where do we go from here? I mean, I know where we went in the book, but I was like, where do we go in the series? Because the series is slightly different. And I actually like the series. And then there is no more. And I'm like, are you kidding me? They are not kidding me. It is over. I did read that the showrunner, I think it's the showrunner, is going to try to move it to another network. You know, like the game, move from network to network. I would love to see that happen. But there's not a good track record for it. I mean, for stories like that. I'm thinking like Misha... On Underground, remember Underground had two seasons? That was one of the best shows, black shows, ever on TV. I loved Underground. And then it got canceled after two seasons, and then Misha was going to try to move it. I want to say they were trying to move it to OWN, but Oprah was like, it's too expensive. I don't know if Oprah per se, but the network was like, it's too expensive to pick up. But that didn't happen. And the same thing with, what was the other Misha show? Misha makes great shows. They just, it's because they're expensive and they're on white networks. What was the other show? Lovecraft. Country, county, country. But that only had one season and they were going to try to move that somewhere else too. And no dice. That was good TV. Damn. I watched, oh, the Roberta Flack documentary. I had posted about this Dionne Warwick documentary that was on CNN, which was really, really good. I had no idea I needed to put that much respect on Dionne Warwick's name. Like I had respect on her name. Like I knew she made great songs, but I didn't realize how exhaustive her list of music was, like, until they started playing it in the documentary. I was like, wait, that's you, too? That's you? That's you? That's not Luther. I I know Luther covered. I didn't know he covered all your songs. Vast and long and varied soundtrack. Really, really good documentary. But I love that one, and I wrote about it on my social media pages, and everyone was like, oh, did you watch the Roberta Flack documentary? And I hadn't. It took me a minute to get to it. I did watch it over the weekend. That's another person who needed to put more respect on their name like I knew the highlights but then once they started playing some other music I was like oh that's you oh I never heard this but like just from this little snippet that I'm hearing I want more and just some things it's like you hear a song here a song there a song here a song there and you like you recognize it as oh that's Roberta Flack but then when you hear it all together you're like oh you did all that sis Um, And then also like her duets with Donny Hathaway, just beautiful, 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 beautiful. And People of Bryson, beautiful. I didn't know she was a child musical prodigy. I didn't know she went to Howard when she was 15 on a music scholarship. I didn't know she was a music teacher. There was so much I didn't know about her. The best part was she made, which I think is one of the most beautiful love songs ever, The First Time Ever I Saw Your Face. It was recorded three years before it blew up and before she got a Grammy for it. Like, she recorded the song. It has some radio play, but, you know, nothing big. It wasn't a hit. And then Clint Eastwood was directing his first film. play, And he played the whole song as part of the film. It's like the lovers finally realize what they have and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But he plays the whole song. And then that's when it goes huge. And that's when it wins a Grammy. But three years. After it was released, I was like, what was wrong with American ears? Like y'all heard that beautiful ass song and sat on it for three years, three years. It all worked out the way it was supposed to. It was a good documentary. The content was good. The delivery was dry. I struggled to get through it. And not because I wasn't actually interested in Roberta Flack. It was just very, it was just very dry. And one of the reasons, even though they had interviews historical interviews with Roberta Flack. They didn't have fresh interviews with her. And I watched the whole documentary. I got midway to the end. And I want to say, my dad came in the room and I was like, when did Roberta Flack die? My phone wasn't sitting in front of me. He was like, Roberta Flack ain't dead. And I was like, Roberta Flack ain't dead. Why Roberta Flack ain't in the documentary? He was like, I don't know about that. Okay, I really thought she was dead. And I had to go look it up. And I was like, she didn't want to participate in the documentary because it was very positive. It's very flattering. But I had to go look it up. And I found out that she has um, ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. She's no longer able to sing, according to a representative of hers. I was reading this in AP News. The disease has also made it not easy to speak. And I had to go look up what ALS is. I've heard of it, but I never really knew like what it was. It affects fewer than 20,000 people in the U.S. per year. It's an incurable condition. And it's a disease of your nervous system. I had to Google this. Weakens muscles and impacts physical function. The cause is unknown. And some of the symptoms include muscle weakness, problems with coordination, muscle spasms, or overactive reflexes. Your whole body can feel fatigue. You can feel faint. You can have difficulty speaking, vocal cord spasms, shortness of breath. Like it's a whole long list. And I was like, oh my God, Roberta or Ms. Flack. Show some respect. I got too comfortable. My bad. I had no idea. So prayers for Roberta Flack. I mean, I'm glad that even though she wasn't in the documentary, she is aware that there is one and she is receiving her flowers while she is alive. But it's a good documentary. It's worth watching. and just heads up. It's a little dry. Even with some of the scandal, like they were talking about the death of Donnie Hathaway and Roberta Flack was, she wasn't with him when he died, but she saw him the night that he killed himself. He, he jumped off a building, but she said they were in the studio and he just like flipped out and he said people were chasing him and they were trying to steal his music. He was really paranoid and he ran out of the studio and they were deeply concerned for him, but I don't think it was the first time that they'd seen him like that, but he went home and, and jumped off a building. But even in the retelling of that story, which is harrowing and sad and dramatic, it's very like water is wet, sky is blue, sun is yellow like it just it just had no oomph, which is so weird because I'm like she's a very soulful woman. How do you make that dry? I don't she's not dry. She's clearly not dry. Like, how do I don't understand how y'all make a documentary about a butterfly dry.
0: (sighs) Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home. And then there's a version of it where you have someone help you. You watch them do it the right way and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. (laughs) I have fully or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com.
1: You can host the best backyard barbecue when you can find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. I also watch you people. That's the new Eddie Murphy film on Netflix. I shouldn't say Eddie Murphy and Jonah Hill, since Eddie Murphy is technically not the star of the film. It's Jonah Hill. And Lauren London. Eddie Murphy plays Lauren London's father akbar (laughs) he's a nation of islam muslim (laughs) his daughter is marrying into a traditional jewish family so he has to you know adjust to his new son-in-law and his daughter's new in-laws some people didn't like it like some people were like it was horrible it was trash it was i've seen horrible reviews of it the critique i find the most worthy is is there was no chemistry between jonah hill And Lauren London and people were like in real life that pairing would never happen. Jonah Hill is never landing a Lauren London and people were like I can't suspend disbelief enough for this movie to believe in this couple. Fair. Fair. They had much more friendship energy than, than couple energy. I didn't really buy them as a couple but overall I thought the movie was hysterical. And just in reading the reviews, because people were talking about it up and down my Facebook page, there's no in-between. People either loved it and were laughing till they cried, or people were like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. It's racist. Fuck Kenya Barris, because he's a producer. Are we on five projects, six projects, about interracial families? He's kind of obsessed with interracial and mixed stories. I mean, it just, everyone has their thing, you know, okay. It doesn't really bother me, but I also never watched Blackish or Grown Ish or any of the issues. I only watched that show on Netflix. that was kind of like a Larry David esque with him and the family. The first four episodes were terrible, but the last four ones were good. I don't even remember the name of it. I think it was supposed to get a second season, actually, but Kenya walked away from his deal at Netflix, which was supposed to be for, which was supposed to be for a whole lot of fucking money, but he bounced. So I guess that show's not coming back. But this is my second Kenya Barris mixed people project. It doesn't bother me. It might in time, but as of right now, it doesn't bother me. I thought this shit was hilarious. Eddie Murphy's intro, when he walked in with a shirt that said Fred Hampton was murdered, and the first thing he started talking about, he was like, is it me? Or oh, Black people's hair is just getting curlier and curlier. He was like, in a few years, we all going to look like Bruno Mars. That shit was hysterical to me. People were like, that's not funny. And I'm like, "It's that's not funny? Shit's hysterical. I, I liked it. There's another critique that I find valid that people keep saying they were like, why was Nia Long even in there? Like she was you brought in Nia Long to be Nia Long and like you didn't even use her like she was just sitting there. She was a lump, like she barely had any lines. And I was like, fair, fair critique. Julia Lewis dreyfus is like the the super liberal, quote unquote, woke white lady who's actually quite racist. Nailed it. She absolutely nailed it. I don't know how people don't like this film. Like, I loved it. I've watched it, like, twice. I loved it. You know also deserves an honorable mention? Sam J, The black chick, the lesbian, she was real good. She's funny as fuck. I don't think I realized how funny she was. I've never watched her show. Is it on HBO? I never watched her show. And I was like, shit, I might need to give it a watch now because this chick is funny. I'm like, does she write her own dialogue? Her jokes were hysterical. I really enjoyed her. I also watched Shotgun Wedding with Jennifer Lopez and Josh Duhamel. I like Jennifer Lopez romantic comedies. It's a very specific brand of comedy. It's it's lighthearted and it's silly and it's goofy and it's, it's over the top and unbelievable. And I love that shit. It's very upscale Hallmark film. And this film is no different. Lenny Kravitz is also in it. Lenny Kravitz plays Jennifer Lopez's ex. He's surprisingly good, but a little stiff sometimes, which is, I don't know. I think an intentional choice because ain't nothing about Lenny Kravitz. Stiff, I mean well, but in general, I mean I just think of him as a very effortlessly smooth, charming, debonair kind of man. He's like a dream boho boyfriend. I really like Lenny Kravitz and he looks amazing. That's the other part. So does Jennifer Lopez. Like there's this one scene, the whole point of the scene is to show off Jennifer Lopez's body. Just he so could be like, look at this work of art. She says she's had no surgery. I don't I don't know and I don't care. She looks amazing. I won't look like that because I don't have the discipline for that shit. I like carbs. But I respect her dedication or her surgeon or the combination of two. She looks amazing. And, like, she got really dirty in this film. Like, like there's a lot of, like, physical dirt. And she looked amazing the whole time. The makeup artist kept her fresh. But I also think she's an easy canvas to work with. But it's quite a ridiculous storyline. But it's also cute as I don't know what. Like, you're you're rooting for them. And at the same time, you're watching ridiculousness, thinking how ridiculous it is. But you can't stop watching because it's, like, so ridiculous. I loved it. What else is going on this week? Oh, this is good black news. There are two black quarterbacks going to the Super Bowl for the first time ever. There's Patrick Mahomes from the Kansas City Chiefs. And then there's Jalen Hurts. Of the Philadelphia Eagles. So, the dilemma for me here is like somebody who doesn't watch football and has no investment in either one of these teams. I tune in for the Super Bowl. I don't really much care about the game. I'm there for the commercials and and the singing. We talked about Cheryl Lee Ralph and Babyface and Rihanna are all performing at the Super Bowl. So, I'm, I'm excited about that. I also got to figure out where I'm going to watch the Super Bowl. I'm positive it'll be airing in South Africa, but where? I got to work on figuring that out. But I like to, you know, root for a team. It just makes the experience of waiting for the next commercial break, you know, a little more thrilling. And I usually choose it by who's the black quarterback or is who's the black coach or how many black players are on the team. And now there's two black QBs. And I was like, so how am I supposed to know who to root for? I asked about it on Facebook and my friends were like, you root for the Eagles because the black quarterback has a black woman as his representation. It's the first time ever. Her name is Nicole Lynn. She's also a Delta. And I was like, but I'm not a Delta. And They were like, but she's black, representing the black QB. And I was like, "Mm, all right, that's fair. So Eagles, go Eagles. My friend's husband, Brother Rob, and I call him Brother Rob because like he's been around forever. Rob is my brother at this point. He's from Kansas City. He's going to be so upset if he hears this podcast. Like, how could you? The betrayal. Sorry. Somebody on my timeline was like, the other quarterback is only half black. And I was like, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. The Eagles guy has two black parents. I was like, no, 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 no. Did you see the the father? Mahomes' father? I guess his father used to play. Not even, I guess. His father used to play Major League Baseball. But there's an interview with his father. I guess it the game after his son won the, the qualifying game for the Super Bowl. It's the blackest interview I've ever seen. His father is like a walking Chappelle skit. And I mean that in the most complimentary way possible because I love Dave Chappelle. But his father's like a Chappelle skit. And I was like, no, that half black, that's strong. That's a lot of black. That's a lot of black. The black half that his father delivered, that's like an overabundance of blackness. Like That's like all the culture in one person. Wow. <sighs> i'm going through my notes roberta flack documentary i told you i watched a bunch of stuff like i really like went kind of crazy because i didn't leave the house for two days i watched the 1619 project it only has the first two episodes up it's six episodes i'm so mad at them for releasing this like in piecemeal hulu loves to do that because they do that with um what's my other show on on with the white ladies who get on my nerves june and serena Handmaid's Tale. They're giving us week by week. And I'm like, you're a streaming service. Drop the episodes at once. But the 1619 Project, I think they're doing two episodes at a time, which is, you know, better than one at a time. But I watched the first two episodes. You know what? I read a lot. And I grew up in a very Black household that emphasized, like, learning about Black history. Both my parents were active in civil rights movement or protest like like I told you there's a black power fist literally on the mantle as we speak right like my parents are black as fuck which I gotta say because I'm from the suburbs and people just make all these sorts of assumptions about people who grew up in the suburbs or the type of people that move to the suburbs they just wanted space they didn't want to like stop being black I also read a lot. I go to a lot of museums. I travel around to different cities and I go to the monuments. I try to learn the history. Like, I like history in general and Black history, especially. I like to think I know things, at least like the big and popular things. But I'm watching the 1619 Project and it's entirely different. From the original 1619 project from New York Magazine, it's entirely different than the podcast. It's entirely different from the book. It's all based on the original material, but it's presented entirely different. Nicole Hannah Jones and her team, because she doesn't do this alone, bubble wrapped them for preservation and safekeeping. I said this on Instagram when I wrote about it. She has outdone herself with this project. It's like an updated version of Eyes on the Prize. But in addition to giving you the history, it's connecting the dots to modern day America. And I'm in awe of the way she's done it as a, you know, as a storyteller. She just weaves everything together so meticulously, but also just as a black person taking in the information. I'm just like, holy fuck. You know there was something that happened that was fucked up then. And you know there's something that's happening that's fucked up now. And you may not think of them as related. But what she does with this documentary is show you how they are. And I'm not going to give everything away, I promise. But in episode two, she talks about the birth of modern OBGYNs. Or the whole field, right? Everything And everything that we kind of know about vaginas is because of the experimentation that was done on enslaved Black women sans anesthesia because the idea is that Black people don't feel pain. But she connects that to the current as in like, you know, 2022, 2021 at the latest. But the very high rate of death for Black mothers and Black babies and how those same ideas about Black women not feeling pain play out in the healthcare or lack thereof that Black women currently receive today. And I was like, holy shit, like I knew about these two things, but I never connected them. She also makes a connection between democracy, voting and its power and how black people obviously were kept from voting. But then there's Reconstruction where black people were allowed to vote and they start electing black people like crazy and then Reconstruction ends. And there's a suppression of the black vote. And that's like 1800s, right? And then she ties that into all the bullshit that black people have been dealing with, with voting. I mean, it's always been a thing, but how it's been heightened seemingly over the last couple years. And she gives examples of everyday bullshit. Like people go to the polls and they're like, nope, sorry, you can't vote here. Your polling place is 20 miles away. And they're like, what do you mean? I voted here my entire life. And they're like, "Mm, nope, not anymore. Then in watching the documentary... I had this aha moment because there has been so much pushback against the 1619 Project or this African-American AP curriculum down in Florida. The whole idea of CRT being taught to students, which for anyone who knows anything about CRT, and to be honest, I had no idea what it was until everyone started talking about critical race theory. And I was like, what is this? But there's a reason for that because it's really only taught like in law schools. It's really only taught to people who are getting graduate degrees in African-American studies. This is not something that's being taught in, I don't know, junior high or elementary or even high school. Somebody just came up with this thing and was like, let's let's be anti this. And everyone jumped on the bandwagon, not knowing that they're against something that didn't even fucking exist to begin with. But okay, Florida has this anti woke law. But my thought process about all these white folks who are up in arms about black people learning history or white people being held accountable for, you know, racism, because it's not like black people are doing it to ourselves. I always thought that the idea behind it was we don't want black people to learn the truth about themselves or their contributions because it will empower them in some way. They will want more. They will ask for more. They will really rev up on this demand for reparations. Like I thought that's what it was about. And then watching this documentary, I was like, oh, this really has nothing to do with black people. You don't want people getting up with essentially long receipts in the forms of published research, expert commentary artifacts, historical documents and such pointing out that your ancestors were trash. And by your ancestors, I mean, you know, damn near every white person going back to 1619, but also your grandma and probably your mom and dad and you too, and maybe your kids. I think that's what the real issue is. It's like, you don't want people pulling your receipts and being like, yeah, so here are all the ways that you've been shitty for four centuries. And I'm going to list them out for you one by one. And then I'm going to give you personal examples of the people that you shit on, like the protesters in their late teens and early 20s that you were upset that they were protesting. So you put them on death row with hardened criminals, criminals. And that wasn't bad enough. You took one of them and you strung them up. You strung them up you by their by their wrist. You had them hanging there and, and they defecated on themselves and you left them there to die. Dr. Nicole is speaking to the gentleman that this happened to. He's telling the story and he says, yeah, but there was like this organization that came to the prison, some sort of like do good humanitarian group. But like you knew this group was coming to the prison and you didn't even have the common sense to be like, yo, take him down because that's going to look crazy if they see that. That's how normalized it was. Did it never even occur to people to be like, oh, this is something we should do in the dark. This is something we should hide that we do because we don't want other people to see it. You didn't even think about it. That tells me just how common the shit was. But no, if I was like a white racist, especially, I wouldn't want people to know if I did that shit. That makes me look like a fucking monster. America has excellent branding. Like, we have convinced the world that we are the superpower, we are progressive, and we are knowledgeable, and everyone should bend the knee for us because we're, you know, superior. And then this is our, you know, our dirty laundry being aired worldwide. I mean, I get it. I don't agree with it, but I get why people are so upset about it. Also, even if you don't watch 1619 Project, look up the Rhinelander case. R-H-I-N-E-L-A-N-D-E-R. White man who marries a black woman. And then when people figure out that she's black, he sues her and was like, she deceived me. I don't understand how this has never been made into a movie. There allegedly have been movies that are inspired by it. One of them, I think, is Nella Larson's Passing. But I don't understand how no one's actually ever done like a movie, a Broadway play, a book, nothing based specifically on this case. Fascinating. Huge, wealthy New York socialite marries like a black chick. And then when people are like, hey, she's black. He's like, no. And then at the trial, they had the woman take off her clothes. And like the white men in the jury examined her. Does she look black with her clothes off? Crazy shit. Look at that. Never heard of it before. And I was like, how did I miss this? Nobody told me. I didn't know to look. What else do we have on our list today? Is it really all TV? Which I don't mind. I guess quarterbacks are not TV. But then the Super Bowl airs on TV. So I guess it is TV in a way. Oh, Common and Jennifer Hudson are allegedly dating. You know what? I like Common. I I really don't have anything against him. I really don't. I just drag him on occasion because people drag Lori Harvey. And I just find it amazing that no one drags Common for doing literally the exact same thing. He actually has whole relationships with people. Lori Harvey, the only person we know she's been in a relationship with is the guy she was engaged to, Damson Idris, Michael B. Jordan, who was on SNL the other day. I saw his opening monologue where he looked nervous as fuck. And then he also talked about having his pers- his first public breakup. He says he's on the dating apps now. It's like, yeah, okay, whatever. I don't think he should have mentioned it. I could see if the breakup happened within, like, the month that he was on SNL. But they've literally been broken up for six months, and she's publicly moved on with somebody else. It was just weird. And I was like, oh, yeah, she's still on your mind, bruh. And even if he didn't write his own monologue, whoever wrote it for him, he should have been like, I'm not saying that shit. He can say no. He's Michael B. Jordan. If he couldn't say it, he should have had his manager say it. Like, it's, it just it didn't bode well for him. I heard he was funny, though. I saw one clip where he was playing, like, Jake from State Farm. It was funny. I saw the one about Southwest. They clown them. That was funny, too. I haven't heard about anything else. I don't know, like, if it was bad, if it was good. I don't know. But I say that to say, Lori, we know, of like, maybe three relationships, maybe. She's in her early 20s. I expect her to, to date many people or a succession of, of quick relationships because she literally just turned 26. You're figuring out your life. You're figuring out what you like. like that's what your 20s, especially your early 20s, are for. Common, Rashid, Rashid, gotta be fifty. How old is Rashid? Lonnie. Common is 50 years old. 50. He's still running through people the way Lori Harvey does. It's like off the top of my head. Erica. Taraji. Angela. Serena. Tiffany Haddish. And now, allegedly, Jennifer Hudson. And look. If people didn't clown Lori Harvey the way that they do, I would have nothing to say about Common and how he conducts his fairs. Or his penis. I, I, I wouldn't have anything to say. Like, I'm like, you know what? If you're not ready to marry, then don't marry. If you're in a relationship and it's not working, then just leave. I actually have no problem with how he lives his life. I only speak about him because he's the closest example of a man doing what Lori Harvey does. And he gets away with it unscathed. And it drives me up a wall that people go so hard against Lori Harvey and then have nothing to say about Common. Nothing. If Lori's an industry pass around, then so is he. If Lori is a hoe, then so is he. If Lori can't keep a man, he can't keep a woman. I don't understand this double standard for these people. Common is 50 doing this shit. 50. Bouncing around from woman to woman to woman to woman. And he's a single man. So I really don't see the issue. I only make it an issue because people have such an issue with Lori Harvey doing it. Men and women. Women go hard against Lori Harvey too. If we're going to talk about people, you know, dating around... And how, like, distasteful it is. You know, as a man, you go somewhere, you're in a room, and you know that other people have been with your woman. It don't feel no better as a woman. You go out somewhere, every time you leave the house, you run into somebody your ex used to fuck. It really doesn't feel nice. The first time, when it's just one, sure. When it's just two, mm. The third time, you be like, really, nigga? Like, damn. You ain't got no discretion with your dick? I kind of understand guys a little bit when they say that. They're, like, walking into a room, and there's other people that she's been with. It doesn't really feel that great, and I get it. I get it. It just doesn't feel great when it happens when men do it either. That's the only thing. It's like y'all acknowledge like y'all's feelings about shit, but you don't realize that we are also human and think and feel the same way about some things. Some things are not man things. Some things are human things. Like men think that when they have sex, it's just physical. Like she's attractive and I wanted to fuck. And so we did and it meant nothing. And you know, but when women do it, it has to be because like she feels this and there's emotions and blah, blah, blah. I mean, yeah, for some women, Some women, yeah, but like women come in a a range of, you know, dispositions and outlooks and perspectives and emotional attachments, just like men, because we are human people. I'm I'm not really sure men all the time realize that women are like three dimensional beings that, you know, are are capable of a multitude of, of feelings and thoughts and outlooks that vary by person and that no two people really share the same outlook. Like it just, we're just all a bunch of different varied experiences that produce us, but they seem not to, to get that there are women, lots of women who just like, it's the same thing. Like, oh, he was hot. He was hot. And I wanted to fuck. And so we fucked. And that was it. And yeah, it's it's weird. It's not weird. It's patriarchy. Yeah. But I say all that to say, like Common is now allegedly dating Jennifer Hudson. I make the same investment into who Common dates is that I make into who Lori Harvey dates. They're like the same person. Oh, my God. What if Common and Lori Harvey dated each other? I mean, I know he's, like, old enough to be her dad because he's, like, twice her age. But shit, so was Diddy. What if they just dated for a while? That'd be interesting. Two people who don't commit, committed to each other. It might work. I'm joking. He's way too old for her. If Common was 35 or under, I'd say it. But, like, there's Diddy and Carisha. There's, like, the same age gap. People tend to accept that, though. When I think about that too hard, it gets a little creepy. Diddy technically could be Karisha Daddy. I hope he's not the one that's pissing on her. She was in a movie with Eddie Murphy. You people. Only very briefly. I didn't recognize her at first. Because I'm not used to seeing her in movies. So it's out of context. But she like stood up in one scene. And I was like, wait, is that is that Carisha? It was. Moving on. Oh, I'll keep this brief. We didn't talk about the Marcus Stokes controversy. Do you know who Marcus Stokes is? He's a little white boy. Boy, he's 17. He's still in high school. He plays football. He had an offer from Florida to play football. But Marcus, the white boy, 17, for whatever reason, and he was supposed to go to Florida. It wasn't just an offer. He was pledged to go to Florida. He uploaded a video, a selfie, rapping along to a song that had the N-word in it. He didn't go silent for the N-word and come back in. And he uploaded this video onto his TikTok. So Florida sees the video and is like, oh no, oh no, you're using the N-word, you can't come here. They rescind their offer. Other schools that are like in an equal division as Florida also rescind their offers. They want nothing to do with him because they're like, you know, it's a wild climate right now. You a white boy out here rapping the N-word, we can have nothing to do with you. I didn't pay any attention to this story until an HBCU. Albany State, your football coach, Quinn Greg Black, reached out to this 17-year-old who got let go from Florida for using the N-word and offered him a football scholarship. The fuck? Of all the people to offer scholarships to at an HBCU, you not only picked a white boy, you picked a white boy who not only uses the N-word... But it's dumb enough to do it and then upload it to his social media. That's what really gets me. If we're being 110%, I don't really care that he was rapping along and he used the N-word. I went to see Jay-Z and Kanye in Brooklyn. And you would think it would be mostly black. It was probably a a good even 50-50. But we had floor seats up front. So most people were white. When they did niggas in Paris, we said niggas. And everybody around us said niggas. I've had that experience so many times that where I'm at a place where there are white people and a song comes on that has nigga in the song and the white people rap the whole verse, all the lyrics, and when it gets to nigga, they say nigga, and then they keep going afterward and then they say all the lyrics after that. And it's just... Using N-bombs in casual conversation, referring to someone as nigga, even, you know, fraternally or in a fun way, I'm not okay with that. But I kind of get it when you're quoting something. Like, as a newscaster or journalist, you're reading something and the the N-word is right there. Like, I get that. And I say quoting something and it kind of also applies to music. The rappers say it nonstop. You're rapping along to your favorite song. I respect people like Eminem who were like, "Nope, I don't use that word in my music. I don't say it. I don't rap along to it. Like that's not in my lexicon." I didn't necessarily think the kid should have been let go from Florida over that. Reprimanded, yes. Him doing it is one thing. Him uploading it, I think he's an idiot. I also recognize that he's seventeen. I think reneging, reneging, <laughs> um, rescinding the offer was a lot. It's not something I'm going to bat for. It's not something I make a big deal about. But just you know. When I read the whole story, I was like, yeah, that was a little excessive. I only have so much energy and I'm not using it for a 17-year-old white kid who's going to land on his feet one way or another. He'll be okay. Like, I can expend my energy in other ways. But if, being honest about it, I really didn't see the big issue. I see a horrible issue with an HBCU coming through to save this white kid who's using N-words. I get it. The HBCU, the, the coach might have been like, you know what? This is stupid. This is stupid. They really, you know, made a big thing about it, and this is a kid, and you know, he really, they really blew it out of control, and they're they're going overboard with the punishment, and I feel bad for the kid. I understand that perspective. To offer him a fucking scholarship, you're an HBCU. Surely there is some black child who needed that scholarship, just like for the white boy. I'm like, he's gonna land on his feet. He's a white boy in America. He'll be all right. The black kid, will he? Because nobody's coming to rescue him. But he offered the scholarship to the kid. Which everybody found out about because the kid, he's a kid. He put the whole thing on social media. That's how people found out that Albany State offered him a scholarship. People were pissed. People were so pissed that they too had to rescind the offer. I'm reading this on sportsillustrated.com. It says, less than a week later, the Albany State coach changed his mind and released a lengthy apology. Saying he had a conversation with the university president about the decision. Gray, that's the coach. He said, "Quote, let me start with a humble apology. An apology for not honoring the tradition and history of ASU and for letting many of you down. I didn't uphold the standard that I know you expect. Please know that my decision to speak with the student that did not meet your expectations was unacceptable." The man trying to save his job. He says, "Quote, I only wanted the best for our team, athletes and institution when I invited the student to visit ASU." The consequences of my actions brought pain to our university. I was trying to help a student get back in competition. And in my haste, I did not consider the impact the decision would have on all of you. Now, apparently the white boy was a good player if Florida wanted him. I kind of get the idea of there's this good player floating in the wind. And, you know, he can't go to Florida. He was good enough for Florida. So why can't he come here, put him on our team, you know, stack up our team, make it good. But you really didn't think at all. It's a black man of how it was going to go over with your black university and your black players of having this white boy on the team who is best known for getting kicked out of Florida's program before he could get in for dropping the N-bomb? Really? I'm surprised he still got a job. This this apology is him trying to keep his job. The best part of this article, though, is not even the apology. It's the final line of the whole article that notes that, that, the, that the white boy who used the N-word... Wasn't the only HBCU trying to offer him a scholarship. Alabama A&M did too. Threw them right under the bus in the final line. So, not everything, but that's what we got for this week. We had a hefty episode this week. I'll be back on Friday with a new episode. All right. Talk soon. Bye. Today's episode is brought to you
0: by Angie. When you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at amfam.com.